Here we Love go. Love Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a world, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis. This is MJ Network. MJ and Mary of my sister, Marcia Joyce. And this is going to be a blockbuster show because this is the first discussion about one of my new favorite books for 2022 and it just came out today it's the darkest place by philip morgan and he is here live to talk about robin lockwood and the challenges she's going to face in more than one thing but not just the case but in other things too so good morning and welcome to mj network thanks for having me on uh, this is the very first thing i'm doing for the book because I'm in Oregon, so it's 8 o'clock here. So uh, this is uh, just getting up. Oh, gosh. I've been up since forever. <laughs> you know, the, the the pile on my chair is huge, so I feel guilty if I don't read all day. What can I say? But this was this is one of my favorite books. But you sent an email. You told me that um, you during that time you handled a number of cases. So you want to talk about how you came to write this? And the, and one something sure. that should parents should need to understand is shaken baby syndrome. That's very important. Sure. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> what the hardest thing for me is getting an idea. So uh, I'm sort of lucky. Once I've got an idea for a book, um, I I do an outline that usually takes a couple of months, and then I get uh, once I get the ending. Uh, I won't start writing until I get the ending, but I get the idea and then I start thinking. But getting the actual idea is difficult for me. So, like I said, what I writing is a is a is a cinch. Uh, but but I always worry every uh, time I finish a book, will I ever get another idea? So, the I I I was a criminal defense lawyer for 25 years, and in Oregon we have a wonderful organization called the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association (OCDLA). And they put on um, really good seminars. So even though I'm not practicing anymore, I'm still kept my membership in the OCDLA. Mm. And they had a seminar on junk science. And I've always been fascinated by junk science. Junk science, for those who don't know what it is, you have a court case and the state brings on an expert but the question is is the area that he claims expertise on real or is it made up uh for instance um i i wrote a a a chapter in a book uh, i think anatomy of innocence um and uh uh each person in the in who wrote it was a bunch of best-selling authors who were paired up with real uh defendants who had been uh sentenced to prison for things that they didn't do and then they had all been exonerated so each person hooked up well the guy i got hooked up with one of the pieces of evidence uh against him mm-hmm. was a corpse sniffing dog Mm. And the the prosecutor put on the person who claimed that he had a dog that could sniff a corpse and then sniff a person and find out if he killed the person. Well, it was it's utter nonsense. But a number of people were sent to death row uh, uh, because of this corpse sniffing dog, and eventually the courts uh, figured out that this was nonsense, and they. They took people off death row who had been uh, who had been sentenced uh, because of this evidence. So anyway, one of the things that was discussed in this seminar was the shaken baby syndrome, 
and it's absolutely fascinating. Um, the, what happens is, and I keep on forgetting the whole, all three, but if a doctor uh, is presented with a baby and the baby has brain damage, uh, they have uh, uh, hemorrhages in their retina, mm. um, there's bleeding or swelling in the brain, cerebral edema, they call this a triad. And if they can't see any external uh, uh, evidence of uh, injury, like a, a bruises or a punch in the chest or uh, a fractured skull, uh, something like that. But there's, so there's no outside mm. injuries. But these three things exist internally. Uh, they will say that the, the cause of the injury is that somebody got mad and shook the mm. child too violently. Mm. So uh, prosecutors have been using this to put people in prison. Um, uh, if they get a child and the doctor comes in and says, we think there was a child abuse here. So it, it sort of makes sense initially until you really start to take a look at the history of the shaken baby syndrome. And um, the the what happened was in the 1970s, Nobody was talking about child abuse or spousal, you know, battered women, spousal mm. abuse. Uh, so doctors were puzzled. They had a mystery. How could these children get injured? And they decided that it was from shaking. Well, they never intended to have this decision used in a criminal case. Mm. Uh, what they did was they, they went about trying to educate other doctors and parents uh, about why you shouldn't shake a child. And prosecutors picked up on this and started putting people in prison by uh, using the shaken baby syndrome and having doctors come on as experts. So it mm. seems on the surface to make sense, but here's the problem with it. When you have a scientific uh, hypothesis so let's say I say that um, I, I, I think that if you eat hot dogs, it will cure cancer. Well, that's a hypothesis. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. So scientists will test out that hypothesis, and then they'll have a whole bunch of cancer patients eat hot mm. dogs. And if, they, if it cures cancer, then you know that the hypothesis was correct. If it doesn't cure cancer, then you know it was wrong. Well, the the problem with the shaken baby syndrome is you can't peer review it. You can't test it because it's illegal to have, you know, a thousand people pick up a thousand babies and shake them as violently as they can oh, to God, see if yeah. you can reproduce this triad. It would be, you know, criminal. Everyone would go to jail. So as a result, this hypothesis has never been tested with actual children. What has been tested is uh, they, they, they were, there, there were people who started to question this, whether mm. you could generate enough force by shaking a baby to actually cause these injuries. And they tried to prove it by biomechanical methods. They got uh, initially football players to shake crash dummies, the type of dummy that you use, uh, mm -hmm. NASA uses, or the car industry uses. And they've never been able to uh, produce enough force to cause the injuries that you see in, in these children. Uh, there was a commission called, I think it's GOUGE, G-O-U-G, I'm probably mispronouncing it, in, in Canada, that reviewed cases of, of where people have been sent to prison because of shaken baby. And after hearing the experts, they came to the conclusion that you shouldn't use this in court, and they let a bunch of people out of prison. There's mm. also been a British, um, a British um, uh, uh, tribunal that came to the same conclusion, and I think there's a Wisconsin case that I show, have put in the book that mm -hmm. also questions. So it's still used. Uh, but there is a big split in the um, medical community. So 
I I was just fascinated by it because there are two sides to this. There, the, I think it's still the majority of the medical community say shaken baby is is valid, um, mm. and some of the what they supported with anecdotal evidence, people that have have been arrested for shaking babies and causing these injuries who confess that that's what happened. Um, in any event, I thought that this would be really interesting. Um, as a basis for a court case, and then the rest of the book sort of grew out of that. So I had this uh, initial idea because it's such a fascinating discussion on both sides, and I have a, a trial that Robin Lockwood, my heroine, and she's the yeah. she's the uh, main character in, in this is book number five in the in the series. Um, she has a case where a, a woman who is a surrogate mother, um, and and when you have a, for those of you who don't know what surrogacy is, a, mm-hmm. parents who can't have children will sometimes hire a woman to bring a baby to term for them. And uh, then the, the surrogate is paid a certain amount of money, um, and she she's given uh life insurance and medical insurance and a whole bunch of other stuff. She usually paid a certain amount of money every month for an allowance. And then after she gives birth, she gives the baby to the parents that have been paying her. Uh, one of the problems that you, you try to nip in the bud is uh, the having the mother, the surrogate mother bond with the baby. And that can cause all sorts of problems. So uh, in the darkest place, a surrogate mother, through uh, an accident, is allowed to bond with the baby and then develops uh, a post-traumatic psychosis and imagines uh, that uh, the baby is still hers and has been stolen. And then she kidnaps the baby and uh, is arrested, and the 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 police or the, she's also charged with shaking the baby and causing injuries. So that's the case that Robin has later on in the book. Well, so that's a long-winded answer to your short question. <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie really didn't do it. When we find out why she really did this, it wasn't out of the kindness of her heart because she wanted to help somebody have a baby. There were other reasons why she wanted it. I remember that. So Yeah, and that, I don't, don't give away too many secrets. <laughs> that's why I'm not, that's why I question out the first five questions. So good. <laughs> my, my, so somebody screwed up, yeah, and Marjorie got a whole whatever. So, but we have to talk about. She was married to Joe Loman. What what red flags do we find out about the stud? And she doesn't really care. Yeah. So Marjorie Loman is uh, the 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 main focus of this book um and the question is is she a bad guy or is she a a victim Mm -hmm. and uh when the book starts out uh the police come to her home and tell her that her husband joe loman has been murdered and tortured and uh instead of breaking down and crying she laughs because uh, she's mm-hmm. really happy, and the reason she's happy is that they've been going through a horrible divorce, and Joel has uh, not only uh, filed for divorce, but he has taken all of their money out of their joint account and uh, has hidden it, and no one knows where this money is. Um, but since they haven't been divorced yet, uh, she, and she's still Joel's wife, Anything he has is hers. So uh, when the police come, uh, the the uh, Carrie Anders and Roger Delanuda, mm. who are are two continuing characters in the Robin Lockwood series, they're homicide mm. detectives in in Portland, yeah. and they come to tell Marjorie about this terrible thing that happened to her husband, and she bursts out laughing and says that's the best news she's had. Um, so she's. She, her reaction is not typical, and then she disappears and ends up in Elk Grove, which is mm-hmm. the small town in the Midwest where Robin Lockwood um, uh, grew up. 
that, that I know that was that was scary, but just from the bit I got the chills knowing yeah. you know, Marjorie. You, you you could tell she's not good. So we have this um, Daryl Holloway that becomes involved with her with the Lynchams, but. What happens in court when Robert, who is this guy that is being defended, and then why does Robin get stuck in court to defend this guy Lloyd, who I didn't like at all? He was a pompous guy. Woo. Well, the book starts off, and I was trying to figure, I, since I started the series, uh, and let me, uh, maybe, should I give a little background on Robin for people who haven't read any of these books? Uh, yeah, but I, I have to tell you, I po- posted your review, but I didn't post the surprise. I didn't say what it was. I just said something Go happened, ahead. but I didn't <laughs> say to who. I was really careful not to let people know. Okay, I appreciate that. Uh, so Robin Lockwood is the uh, uh, the hero in uh, five books. I'm actually... Uh, editing a six with her and and starting on a seventh, and I really enjoy her as a as a character. She's one of my favorites, uh, and her background's pretty unusual. Uh, Robin grew up in Elk Grove uh, on a farm, and her father and her three older brothers. She's the only girl in the family. Um, they were all champion wrestlers. So when she got to high school, she wanted to be on the wrestling team. But uh, a group of parents uh, panicked when they found out that uh, their their sons were going to be wrestling girls. And uh, they convinced the school board to bar Robin from, from being on the wrestling team. Well, her dad hired a lawyer, and uh, they, they convinced the school board to change uh, its mind. And not only did Robin get on the wrestling team, but she became the first girl in 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 the history of the state mm. to place in a district tournament. She she took third place her senior year with wrestling boys, um, and that's what convinced her. The fact that this lawyer was able to get her on the team that when she grew up she wanted to be a lawyer. Well, she went to college, and the college she went to had a a nationally ranked wrestling team. So she knew there was no way that she would ever be able to get on the team, but she still liked combat sports. So she got involved with mixed martial arts. And uh, when the series starts, um, she uh, has uh, become a, she's become a ranked nationally ranked mixed martial arts uh, 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 fighter who is on uh, television. She's in big pay-per-view events. And she gets into Yale Law School, which is the hardest law school in the country to get into because she's really super smart. And she pays part of her tuition at Yale by fighting Mm -hmm. on pay-per-view events in Las Vegas uh, in in cage fights. So uh, uh, in her first year uh, at Yale, she suffers a really brutal knockout when she uh, goes up and, and mm. fights a, a top contender, and she decides to stop Mike, stop fighting professionally. Uh, but the reason I, I gave her this background was a, a lot of my books have very strong women characters as the as the lead, and they frequently get into very dangerous situations. And in real life, if a man and a woman were to fight, the guy's probably going to win. Um, bigger upper body strength, uh, boys tend to fight more or uh, be involved with wrestling or karate. So I was trying to think, if I had Robin fight somebody, mm. uh, male, how could I make it realistic that she wins? And they said, of course, I make her a professional fighter. So a woman who's a professional fighter would have a very good chance uh, if she's fighting a man because most men wouldn't have the skill level that a professional fighter would have. So uh, that gave me this uh, uh, ability to make Robin's background really interesting. And in most of the books, she gets into some situation where she has to use her her, uh, martial arts skills uh, as well as her legal skills. That's what I love about her. She's tough. You've got to be tough in Mm -hmm. this world. I, I, I hate when an author writes a book with a female character that makes her look like a ditz brain. And lately I've been reading a few that are 
strong, but not really. And then they have no common sense, which is like, chuck the book on the side. So this really got me. You know, everybody's been in a court of law. It's no fun. Um, But how (laughs) does someone get a gun inside a court of law? Because it's on the news now, too. How do people do that? And how do people, you know, get into a court of law and kill somebody? That's that's scary. I do have that happen in the book. Uh, and I, I didn't really say don't why. Discuss, <laughs> uh, I don't really discuss how he got the gun in, except that the person uh, is wearing a, a sheriff's deputy uniform. Um, so oh, that that's sort why. of explains it. But but I didn't I didn't think it was necessary in that scene to actually go into all the details. You know, one of the things you want to do when you're writing a book mm. is, uh, especially a thriller, is not to. You mm. want to put in detail, but you don't want to put in so much detail that people go to sleep. So in this case, I didn't really feel it was necessary because the scene's very dramatic. And uh, I I just wanted to have the scene play out, and I didn't want to have to go into a big explanation of how he got the gun in. But I do have the I, I do have him dressed like a, a sheriff's deputy, and that you can sort of imply that that's how he was able to do it. That's what's really scary. It's not safe to go anywhere. I mean, I, I listen yeah. to the news too, and and the schools. I mean, how many kids are going to get killed in school? There used to be. I mean, I worked in a school for a very long time. There was a guard, but if somebody came in with a gun, and they have, there was very little they could do, except pray that nobody shot them. That that's what's really scary. Yeah, I, my advice is don't turn on your TV news or read. Yeah, the that's what I've been front doing. Front pages of newspapers. Yeah. Because I think the media really scares people. Yeah. Um, it makes them very nervous when in, in real life, crime, uh, you know, and I did this for 25 years. Uh, mm. I was representing murderers and drug dealers and bank robbers. And I remember a conversation I had. Um, I was working at the Y, and there was a police officer who I knew who worked out at the same time. He, was, he, he had testified in some cases, and I just knew him. And we were having lunch together after the workout, and I asked him, do you think crime's gotten any worse? And he said he really didn't think it it had. I mean, there's always going to be a certain Mm. percentage of people in the population who are going to commit crimes. Most of the crimes occur in poor areas. So the people who worry about crime the most are middle class and upper class people. But the odds are that they're not going to be the victim of crime. But then you read the newspaper, and it makes you crazy. So yeah. um, my advice is read the sports and entertainment section. Read the comics. Read sports. And don't read about crime stuff because it just makes you very nervous when, the again, the odds of you actually becoming a victim of crime um, go down a lot unless you live in a poor area. Uh, so unfortunately, that's where a lot of the crime. And then, of course, with COVID, mm. uh, yeah. there are a lot of people unemployed uh, that normally would have a job. Schools were closed down. So I think there was a spike in crime. I know in my neighborhood we've had a lot of break-ins and stuff where we mm. didn't before COVID. But I think a lot of that might have to do with people not having a job and uh, or being homeless and uh, uh uh, hopefully, now that COVID seems to be receding and people are getting back to work and going to school, that'll that aspect will drop. But you know, fingers crossed. I, all I know is that I deleted my news app because every five minutes <laughs> I get I, I get something about Russia, I get something about this, or something about that, and I go like, could you say something positive? No. So Robin goes home and stays with her mother for whatever reason she wants to visit. So how does she get involved with Marjorie and the child that she's carrying and the Lindstroms? I felt so bad for them. Well, and, and just a little bit more background without giving away anything. Yeah. Um, Robin suffers a, a horrific personal tragedy and is very depressed. Yeah. And so she goes home to Elk Grove, uh, to her family to try to get her feet back on the ground. And uh, while she's there, 
uh, her brother, who was a state champion wrestler, um, invites her to dinner and also invites uh, Stan McDermott, who was was uh, years ago was on this team that won states and was a state champion. And they've stayed friends. And uh, he's be- McDermott has become a, um, uh, a lawyer in town. And he has the case, uh, the shaken baby case. And so over dinner, um, they get introduced and stands uh, and, and her, her brother, Jack, tell, says, I want you to meet this guy because he has a very complicated case. And he's heard that you're, you know, a brilliant lawyer uh, and wants to pick your brain. So they the next morning they they have breakfast together and he explains that Marjorie has been arrested for uh, kidnapping uh, the baby that she was the surrogate for and uh, assaulting the mother when she she takes the baby. She goes to the Lindstroms are the are the parents uh, that uh, paid for the surrogate and she she assaults the mother takes the baby on the run and is charged with assault on the baby, assault on the mother, and kidnapping. And uh, he's, Stan says he really, you know, is in over his head. He's a very smart guy, but it's a small town. He doesn't handle the, the complicated murder cases that uh, Robin does. So he asks her advice, and she uh, tells him that she knows a little bit about Shaken Baby and uh, being from a seminar uh, that the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association held, and uh, she'll get him the materials. And uh, and then uh, after talking to her for a while, Stan says, well, look, you're in Elk Grove now. Uh, I don't know how long you're going to stay, but would you ever think about co-counseling on the case? And uh, she decides it's a fascinating case. Uh, that she wants to get involved in because of the junk science aspect. And so she agrees to co-counsel uh, the case with Stan. So that's how Robin gets involved in the case. I know. And it's like she's, well, you know, I got the impression as I was reading it that um, she's better She's better at it than he is. She's really good. Well, well she, she doesn't she's give a, up. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, she—it's not so much that; it's just that uh, stands sort of out of his depth because yeah. uh, he never doesn't handle the type of of high-level cases. Uh, you, you don't get them in the small town. Uh, this this is pretty unusual. So uh, it's it's just that he he appreciates how talented she is and how. Um, uh, how much she can bring to the table. And so that's why he asked her to do it. Uh, so it's not that he, she's smarter than he is. It's just that uh, he's got the, she's got the type of expertise. And of course she is, I mean, she is brilliant. You know, that's one of the things uh, she majors in physics in, in college. Uh, you know, she's a, a real, uh, really smart cookie. And, uh, and, uh, so he realizes that he's got the advantage of bringing on someone who's very talented and has a lot of experience. So that's uh, so that's why he's really happy when she says, "Yeah, I'm, I'll I'll do it." I'm just have the book in front of me. The what what question that I didn't ask is that someone like Marjorie or someone that has committed child, you know, shaken baby syndrome. Wouldn't they look in, well, if the person had another child, would they check and see if there was other abuse reported before they would say it was that? I mean, I dealt with child abuse as an educator, and I did report it a lot. You could sort of tell when the child is telling the truth, and they weren't lying. None of them. It was really scary, because every single time I reported it, unfortunately, I was right. And I saved a lot of lives. But would they, if a, somebody like um, the Marjorie you know, had another child or something like that, would they look into it to see if there was other child abuse at all? Sure. Sure. I mean, that's one of the, one of the, uh, you do this in every case. It doesn't matter what kind of case it is. Uh, you always, the, the police will always check, the prosecutor will always check to see if the person that 
they're charging has a has a history of criminal activity, and uh, mm-hmm. that can be used uh, for a number of reasons. If I'm a DA and I find out that the person has been convicted of a crime, um, I can use that in a number of ways. One way would be if the person, uh, if the defendant decides to testify in their case, uh, there's a rule of evidence mm-hmm. that says you can introduce prior criminal convictions, not to show that the person did the crime he's charged with, but to to uh, show the jury that he might not be a truthful person. Uh, mm. Also, if there is a series of crimes that the person has committed that are very similar, you can introduce that as evidence that they did the crime. And it, that that's a toughie. I've actually won a, a death penalty mm. case up in the Oregon Supreme Court. Um, by arguing that the evidence had been improperly admitted. Uh, the the evidence has to be very unusual in that the prior crimes have to almost be mirror images of the crime that the person's on trial for. So the best example would be if you had a murderer and in every one of these crimes he, puts, uh, he carves the letter Z into the victim. So there's some very unusual aspect that shows up in every single crime. So you could use that. Um, so a prosecutor will always look into the history of the defendant uh, to see if they have done similar stuff in the past because there are ways that you can use that to help with the, get a conviction. Now I know why I watch Vanished and Undiscovered, whatever, in cold cases. I love those. <laughs> and my husband can't stand it because I'm always right. <laughs> I always figure out who did it because they have to read oh, that it. Right? But we, That's we've good. Got well, you the, read all the books. Yeah, I you know. And sometimes books, I wonder. I know, but sometimes I wonder um, when the – I know I interviewed somebody the other day. Her book was really not great. But I didn't realize she was an investigator, so she explained her character. So I said, well, in that case, I made her book sound like it was 10 stars. It really was only two, but I don't see any. I, it, was, it was really, and, and it was a really great interview, come to think of it. So she's got a team in Elgrove, Robin, and a team in her own firm. So how does she coordinate with both of them? She's got a team in Elgrove and in Portland, did you say? And in Portland, yeah. How does she work with both of them? Yeah. Does she have the people in Portland? Because she needs help from both sides, and then she has to go home and do something. Yeah, so what happens is she uh, she's in, by the time, uh, after she's been in Elk Grove for a while, um, because of this horrible tragedy that happened, uh, she starts to get uh, adjust to life again. And mm. uh, you know, she's very sad. She's very depressed, but after a while, she starts to come out of it, and uh, she decides she needs to get back to Portland because there are a lot of people depending on her. She has clients, um, yeah. and the DA, or the prosecutor, the chief prosecutor, and the police—they're very sympathetic. People in law enforcement like Robin, even though she's on the other side. She's mm. she's, she's very respectful and of of the prosecutors and the police. Um, so the the prosecutor, uh, the chief, the Multnomah County District Attorney knows that uh, you know she's going through a really horrible period. So they set over these cases, but uh, they she has a responsibility as a lawyer for these people that are charged with crimes to come back and represent them. And so after a while, uh, her depression she's still very sad and and uh, very unhappy, but. She realizes she has a responsibility for other people. So she flies back to Portland, but she's able to do a lot of her work for the mm. case in Elk Grove in Portland because they, she and Stan divvy up the responsibilities. Mm. And her responsibility is to handle the expert witnesses on shaken baby and uh, postpartum psychosis. So... She can do that in Elk Grove or Portland because it's just running down expert trying to find somebody who um, who is an expert in the area who is willing to testify uh, for your client. 
So she goes back to handle her Portland cases in Portland and at the same time uh, prepare for the Elk Grove uh, kidnapping and assault cases. And she uses now, but- some of her uh, her associates in her law firm to help mm. on the Elk Grove case. Well, I, I tell you, to tell you, the most the most interesting scene was with Dr. Lancaster, and how he describes Shakenbrain, how she questions him, and then of course the doctor that's on, on Marjorie's side, Dr. Suarez. How did you create that? Because I couldn't put the book down. As okay, I'm reading, so this was this was so good. Yeah, this <laughs> this was the most fun for me because I I don't have a medical background. So mm-hmm. what you, what I always do and what other uh, writers do, when you want to put something into your book, but you're really not an expert, is you find experts. And I was extremely lucky. Lisa Kaufman, I, I, I practiced criminal defense for 25 years from 1970 all the way up to 1996 when I quit to write full time. Um, but I kept my law office to write in. So I come to work every right now. I'm in my law office in downtown Portland, uh, but I'm not doing. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not. I'm a member of the bar, but I don't practice anymore. I don't have any cases, uh, but I'm around other lawyers. And one of the the first thing was, I didn't know anything about surrogacy, and one mm. of the uh, lawyers in the office, Lisa Kaufman, who I mentioned in the acknowledgments. Uh, does family law, and she helped me with surrogacy. She told me all the information I needed to know about the contract you make with a surrogate, what a surrogate does. So that was step one. So I was able to make that realistic uh, through that help. So the next thing, I, I wanted to set up experts on both sides in this shaken baby question. So how do you do that? Well, I got mm. really lucky. Uh, and the first thing I did was uh, there was a lot of material in the uh, handout that I got at the Oregon Criminal Defense Lawyers Association seminar. So there were uh, quite a lot of information about shaken baby. And I, I, I talked to the person who, who was involved with the uh, seminar and I also found out that there were a number of cases that were ongoing in in the state of Oregon where the shaken baby syndrome was uh, being used to pro- as, by prosecutors. Mm. So I called up the attorney general's office, and I called up the public state public defender, and uh, they were really helpful uh, in both in both places. And they gave me, um, sent me transcripts of mm. uh, expert testimony on both sides of this issue in real cases. So I was then able to have um, uh, testimony on both sides that was from a real case that I could put into the book and change, you know, you, you use it as a framework for the dialogue in the in the mm. fiction book, but the biggest break I had was Jeff Weiss is a uh, is a, uh, a pediatric surgeon uh, and a friend, and I mentioned this to him, and he was he was great. And what he did was I wrote the scenes, and I gave it to Jeff, and then Jeff reviewed them and changed things around uh, to make them very realistic. And to give a you know a balanced uh, mm. argument on both sides. So Jeff was in, I just sent him an autographed copy of the book thanking him and and I said uh, thanks Jeff I couldn't have written the book without you and that's true because he he really mm. uh, was able I had a couple of things in there he said no no you got to change this you got to do this here uh, mm. you can't do this you got to do that so. Uh, if the book, if you like that, the courtroom scenes in the book, don't yeah, thank me. <laughs> thank the people from the public defender's office and the state attorney general and Jeff for uh, for really uh, enabling, giving me the information I needed to make the book sound very realistic. And uh, I I really enjoyed writing those scenes and working that trial, the big trial out in in the book. 
You know what it is, too, because you can do it because you're a lawyer, but if somebody like myself asked somebody to help, I was writing a book, the first Faces Behind the Stone series, and I wanted something about arson, so I went over to the fire chief, and he said, yeah, whatever, they never helped. So I had to look up the information myself. And it's sad because you can't always get somebody, but that's great. So, to you know, Mr. D. You know, I have been really lucky, and I have yeah. uh, found during my career that people really uh, have helped me out. Um, I, you know, I don't, I've never really been turned down, I don't think. Mm. And I don't think it's just because I'm a lawyer. I think uh, I was talking about this the other day with someone mm. who's not a lawyer, uh, but is a writer who was able to get, uh, you know, help with a uh, with research in an area that he didn't know a lot about. And we both agreed that um, if you call somebody up and you tell them, I'm in, I'm I'm writing a novel, mm-hmm. and uh, I I need some information about, you know, ballistics or or uh, pipe bombs or whatever. I did done that. Uh, they're usually really excited about helping out because, it, you know, they they have this job that they do every day, uh, and now all of a sudden here's some somebody coming in and. Uh, Ask, and asking them to do something that's a little bit different, so they they appreciate the fact that you know they're they're being asked to to go uh, use their expertise. So I I've been and I've talked to other people about this too, and they they say that they they have, have not had any problem when uh, uh, when they've gone out and tried to get expert information, you know, expert help. Mm. So uh, you might have run into a, you know somebody who's mean, <laughs> just a Scrooge or something. But uh, my experience has always been that people really enjoy helping you out if you tell them you're writing a book. Well, I have an odd idea for the next one. I don't know who's gonna if anybody would help me, but you don't know. It's it's odd. And I changed the title five times, but I have an idea for the title that might work better if I can get somebody that is a makeup artist to help me. That's all I will say about that. Oh, yeah, so. I'm sure you'd be able to. I would just, I would just call, you know, um, go find out. There must be a theater company or something in your in your area, and just, uh, you know, find out from them who does who does the makeup for the theater, and then, um, uh, you know, just uh, get the person and ask them, would you help me out with this? And I I, I would be surprised if they weren't excited about doing it. Well, I have to start writing. I just start writing it. It's scary. So, before I forget, Thursday, Andrea Kane, at any cost. On the 15th, she writes with James Patterson, Renegade, Nancy Allen. On the 17th, I'm doing something for Women's History with Marsha Casper Cook, Stella Terre Hart, and Sylvia True. They wrote three books about the Holocaust, all different. We're honoring female authors on the 22nd, Gambling with Murder. On the 24th, Iris Johansson's son, Roy, Killer View. On the 28th, African Vengeance. On the 30th, Somebody We Know and Love, Lee Matthew Goldberg, Vanish Me. And on the 31st, FBI agent Michael Tabman and I take on what's in the news from the law enforcement point of view. That is going to be fun. (laughs) You just never know what I'm going to do. So when we have the DA, so when the trial is over, how do we get an uneasy feeling about Marjorie? I don't know about her. Well, again, without giving away too much, um, you do find out that uh, the police in Portland uh, suspect that Marjorie murdered her husband, but Mm -hmm. it's not clear whether she did or not. And so, uh, uh, she has this uh, hanging over her head. The, there's a there's a warrant out for her arrest from from uh, the district attorney's office in in Multnomah County in Portland. And so, uh, even though she gets a, a well, I'm not going to tell you what happens because I give away stuff. But um, uh, there's a there's a warrant for her and. She does get rearrested in Portland uh, mm-hmm. for the for the uh, murder of her husband, 
And so uh, uh, Robin is facing a dilemma, should she represent her or not represent her? So it's, uh, that's another uh, ethical and moral question that Robin has to face uh, this time. So uh, that's the second case that, that she's involved with with, for, uh, with Marjorie. Well, without giving it away, I sort of figured out there was, you know, the reason why, whatever, unless she did what she did. But the way you came up with the final revelation was outrageous. How did you come up with that without saying anything? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that you have to do when you're writing a murder mystery is uh, figure out, and this, this is what I will not write a single word until I know the ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the bad guy and how are they going to get caught? And so that was my um, problem in the book. You know, if if Marjorie is uh, the bad guy, if she's really a killer, um, she's very, very clever. So how is uh, how are the police going to get her and how is she... How is her crime? How is she going to be made to pay for her crime? And uh, so that that was what I had to figure out before I even started writing the book. And so what I do, like I said, what 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 I do is I get this idea, and then I think about the idea for sometimes months. I've actually spent ten years on an idea. One of my best sellers uh, was a book called Executive Privilege. Uh, and the the issue is, is the president of the United States a serial killer? So I thought it was a great idea for a book, but I had to figure out, um, you know, how would a president be a serial killer because they have the the press around them and and the uh, Secret Service around them? And I could never figure it out. It just I I and then ten years later, I had just finished the book and I was trying to think about what my next book was going to be. And bing, into my head comes the solution to that, to the executive privilege problem. And I said, oh, my God. So then I wrote it. So it came out in 2008, but I wouldn't even start it. Uh, so, again, with with The Darkest Place, um, mm. my big problem was, okay, you got this idea, but if we have a bad guy, how is that bad guy going to get caught? And I, all my books have surprise endings and twists. And so I, I had to have something that would make a lot of sense um, that would actually work in real life. And I was able to figure out the ending um, after a lot of hard work and hard thinking. And then as soon as I got that ending, I spent about one, I think about a couple of months writing mm. an outline of the book. That's my process get the ending, get the idea, get the ending, and then spend several months out doing an outline that goes from the first page all the way to the end. And then after I do that, I have my book written. So it's, uh, again, I just take each paragraph and I turn it into a chapter, and it's not very good. You know, the first draft is usually garbage. It's mm. not publishable. And then I spend months uh, working on um, uh polishing it up and editing it for quality. My problem is I just sit down on my typewriter, my computer, and pray that it doesn't disappear. My computer has a habit of making everything disappear. So that's why <laughs> if your, review, your review is on my phone, too. Just in case, when I posted it yesterday, I said, I just hope it didn't disappear. I, I could start typing, and all of a sudden it goes, it's blank. And I go like, What? So I've been typing a lot on, my, on my, note, my notepad, and then I send it to my computer and pray it doesn't disappear. So the the title well, has have, a lot I of... Empath- no, I Did emphasize have- I'm a techno-idiot. <laughs> I know, <laughs> fortunately, there's a, fortunately, there are a couple of people in my office that are very, very good with uh, computers. And as mm. soon as something horrible happens... I go running out and uh, I, I, I say, Antonio, Antonio, that my this this is won't work. This is happening. Can you help me? Can you help me? I, I'm very lucky to have some pretty skilled people that are uh, uh, able to assist me when things disappear or don't do what what I want them to do. No, my sister passed away 
will be 12 years ago in July. That's a whole other um, question mark as to why that really happened. And um, she was my computer brilliance. And she would type my books and she would do my help my term papers. That's how they were. I yeah. used everything. And she's, she actually edited my very first book before she died. And then my husband's mother was my, was a real editor. And Mom Lewis did, and then they both left me. So they left me to do this by myself. So the title has a lot to a, say. You gotta, I, have, I, have, uh, I have grandkids. You've got to get grandkids. They, they, they're able to do everything with the computers for old people. <laughs> so get yourself a grandkid, and they will be able to fix the computer any, every time. I got to do something. How do we know Robin is still at the end in the darkest place? And what are you going to write next? And when am I getting it? Okay, so I am actually. Uh, it's, 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 I think because of COVID, um, they're putting two books out this year of mine. So uh, the darkest place just came out today, and then in November, Murder at Black Oaks is going to come out. And I'm oh, really good. enjoying that book. It's a uh, it's an homage to Agatha Christie, um, and I've got a, uh, a, a, a Robin is in is trapped in a very uh, in a mansion on the top of Solitude Mountain that is a, a brick by brick copy of a haunted mansion on the British Moors. Uh, there's going to be a murder in a cage elevator. Uh, a locked room murder that she has to solve. And I've just had the, the most fun uh, trying to figure out, um, you know, how to kill somebody in an elevator between floors, uh, you know, creating an impossible crime. Uh, so that was a load. That's been a load of fun. And then um, I'm working on um, the seventh Robin Lockwood right now. Uh, as a matter of fact, as soon as we hang up, I'm gonna I'm gonna get back to work on the next on the next uh, Robin Lockwood book because uh, I really enjoy her as a character and I've been having a lot of fun and uh, I'm getting a lot of good feedback from other you know from readers who are enjoying the series. So uh, uh, Robin is definitely gonna be back and she's gonna be back in uh, uh, in November and then back again. Uh, uh, sometime in 2023. Well, I hope that you're going to work in with Hector for the next Robin, so he has to send it to me, like fast. Oh, definitely. Well, I always tell him to get to get your copies, because I, I don't know, if I, am I always the first, are you always my first uh, uh, interview? Good, because just let me know when top. it's in November so I can put you in my schedule. Believe it or not, this is so wild. I just scheduled one I have one more date left in August that's it and I'm into September already I was like it's unbelievable and then next week I have two the week after I have three and then the week after that I have three and I don't normally do three but in May Boyd Morrison asked for one for his sister for Lawless Land which is really good and I have so many people, and it's like I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> and I'm still waiting for half the books to come. That's why when yours come, I just sit down and read it because I had to get it done right away so I don't lose track of it. And when it's Robin Lockwood, you know I'm going to put it to the top of my list. So just let have to let me know what date it's coming out so I can put it in my schedule for November because it's, like, really crazy. I think it's November, I think it's uh, November my, um, 8 or 11. I'm, I'm not hold on, sure, let me but, look at my phone. Uh, we're still editing it though, so there's no advanced reading copies or anything like that available. It's still be it's just being edited. So we I have a draft back in New York, and and uh, uh, my editor Keith Kayla, who's a fabulous editor, is uh, working on the edits, and uh, probably will wait until I'm finished with the book tour to get it back to me because uh, November eighth, November. 8th I just put it in my schedule. I just you can it see it. Schedule. It's already up on. Uh, it's already up on uh, on on the internet. So uh, uh, they're they're already selling it on um, uh, Amazon and and uh, uh, what you call it, on Barnes and Noble. So 
Uh, if you want to see a little bit more about what it's like, they have a really good cover, so I'm really excited about the cover. I'll find it. Don't worry. I find everything. It's really scary, but I find things. So before we end, um, she's next, thank goodness. So where can everybody get all of these from the beginning? You don't need to read it from the beginning, but in order to understand the reason why the book is called The Darkest Place, you've got to start at book one, because I said so. Uh, you know, one of the things I try to do mm. is uh, to make uh, each book – even though it's in a series, a standalone. So I do try to give a lot of background uh, so that you don't have to get every book. But uh, if you read them from the beginning, it, it does give you a little bit more background into Robin and her relationships, mm-hmm. uh, uh, how she got to where she where she got. Uh, but you can get the book all over. It'll be in independent bookstores. It'll be online with Barnes & Noble, uh, and Amazon and any place where any, it, I always recommend people go to independent bookstores. In fact, the book is dedicated to uh, the owners of independent bookstores um, who went through this really uh, difficult time with with COVID. Indeed and, they are. Uh, yeah, and I just I I always I love independent bookstores, and uh, I. I like I said, I dedicated the book to the, this book to the owners of independent bookstores uh, because of the horrible time they had uh, surviving, and uh, a lot of them, you know, they, they've come through. And, and uh, I know in Oregon, uh, my a lot of my favorite bookstores are are survived, and um, I think a, a lot of readers uh, started buying. Um, you know, online from the independents, or I know I did it. I called up my independents and said, "I want to get this particular book." Instead of mm. going on, you know, on the internet to do it, I uh, called up and, and said, "Can you can you get me this book?" So, uh, in hopes that they would keep going, because I would be really sad if uh, if these independents uh, went under. Uh, so it's it's you know I think it's really important that if to support local independent bookstores. So that's... There's uh, nothing around here. There used to be like, um, not an independent so much, but they had um, old books, antique books, you know, an antique bookstore that I used to go into, you know, to get old, or the Strand downtown, they basically have old ones too. But there's mm -hmm. only here, we have one Barnes & Noble, that's about it. You know, traveling around because there was a bookstore that went out just recently. It was a bookstore that had was really big, and it had foreign books, you know, from all different countries, and it's not there anymore. So I, yeah, I tell people sad. to get yeah, it is. It's sad, and I won't see. I can't read on my computer. I won't. My eyes bother me. And if an author doesn't send me the print copy, oh well, friend's not reading it. <laughs> no way. And I've been getting a lot of authors that have been saying, they don't understand, oh, well, we'll send you the PDF. Feel free to print out 500 pages. You know, I didn't know that like one. And this one author said to me, well, you know, I need to interview you. And I had you read the book right away. It cost me $400 to review, to, to print out the book that was 700 pages because I didn't realize it was that big. When I sent it to my friends at FedEx who will do anything for me, uh, when I got in, I go, like, holy <laughs> God. What did I do? I never again. <laughs> and, and the person didn't even say, you know, oh, did you? I said, yeah, it was four hundred dollars to print it. They said, thank you very much. <laughs> what did yeah. I say? But well, this, I'll make sure is, you guys make sure you get the 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 arc so that you don't have to uh, spend all your money on the on the. Uh, no, well, it's worth it because if if you wrote it, you have no idea how many people. I told, and I was like, usually I tell somebody, I'm interviewing someone, they have, huh? When I said it was you, they go, oh, whoa, excuse me. <laughs> they actually know, know who you well, are. And I, well, I have I'm an glad extra to have you on. I'm so glad yeah, I'm you glad did you this. Yeah, I'm glad you have me on because I always enjoy this. How many, how many times have, been, have I been on your show? I think a you lot. did one with Amanda Graves, the very first one a long time ago, and every Robin Lockwood so far, about five or six times. That I yeah, said, you I, know, I look forward to it. I actually, I look forward to it, and I hope that I can arrange. I'm leaving November eighth. I'm leaving it there for you, 
and I'll find out if I'm happy if the book, when the book comes out. I'll know, but right now I'll I'll leave it on you and I'll let you know because if that's when it's coming out, that's when I'm going to do it, which is not a problem. Okay, yes, yeah, November November eighth is what they already have the pub date and they have the cover. It's great. I love the cover. I so can't find it on Amazon. Tell me the title again. Murder at Black Oaks. You have to type it. Actually, type it in. I will. Um, you know, because it's not with. Uh, sometimes it's not actually with the list of my books because it's, you know, as been yeah, printed not. yet and it's pretty new. Yeah, but you can find it's there. You just have to uh, you just have to look for it. Uh, just like I said, type in um, "Murder at Black Oaks, Margolin," and you'll you'll be able to get it. I'll find it. I'm I'm relentless. But thank you so much. Yeah. Only for you will I do eleven o'clock or twelve. <laughs> Nobody else. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. It made my whole morning. But everyone everybody try to do something nice for somebody. Try to do a kindness with what's going on in the world today. We have to stop being nicer to people. And I send out every at the end of every show I send my Best wishes and hope that the people of Ukraine finally beat them and finally they finally stop hurting those people. They don't deserve that. So I hope God will take care of them and, and save more, more of the children and the people. But, Philip, thank you so much. Everybody have a beautiful day and bye. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.